Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Before we get started, I do want to let you know this program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. And I want to thank Mark uh, so much for his support. He becomes a Patreon supporter at the Shamus level of $4 or more a month. I also want to thank uh, Sydney, uh, who went ahead and sent in a donation through our PayPal link. Uh, You can support us at support.greatdetectives.net for that. And also, we received a donation uh, by mail from Gary. Uh, Thanks so much for your support, everyone. Um, and now it's time to get into today's episode of Michael Shane. Uh, the original air date on this one is September 17th, 1945. The Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective. The people who make 76 gasoline and Triton motor oil, Union Oil Company, present... The Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective, starring Wally Mayer and Kathy Lewis. Our detective friend, Mike Shane, solves most of his cases by a combination of clues, shrewd thinking, and daring action. But he's also a great student of criminal files and case histories of famous crimes. This morning, Mike is at his desk, deep in study of the latest exploit of another well-known detective, Mr. Dick Tracy, when suddenly Mike's useful and very ornamental associate, Phyllis Knight, opens the office door. Psst, Mike, Mike. Hmm? Huh? Uh, yes, Angel? Hide that funny paper. There's a client in the waiting room. Oh, just when I was getting to the... Come on, come on. Okay, okay, show him in. Uh, Mr. Shane will see you now, Mr. Carter. 
This is Mr. Shane, Mr. Nelson Carter. I'm glad to know you, Mr. Carter. Won't you sit down, sir? Yes, yes, thank you very much. Mr. Shane, I'll have to be very brief. I'm an attorney, and I'm on my way to see a client. It's uh, it's about him, about Mr. Dixon, that I've come here. Mm-hmm, I see. The situation is so uh, fantastic, really, I'm afraid Mr. Dixon's life is in peril. I fear for him, I really do. Is it a case that the police department should handle, Mr. Carter? Well, no, no, I, I don't see how the... Mr. Shane, three days ago, when Gregory Dixon walked into my office, I... I screamed in terror. I almost fainted. Fainted? But, but... Yes. Two months ago, we had buried Mr. Dixon. Oh, you had buried Mr... What? Yes. Oh, oh, yes, it was a perfectly proper funeral. Hmm. Well, I thought I was seeing his ghost. We'd received word that Mr. Dixon was killed in an accident down in Mexico, in Yucatan. Imagine, imagine my consternation. Here he walked into my office while I'm administrating his estate. Uh Uh-huh, that would make anybody do nip-ups. Yet you say you buried him. Oh, it was a mistake, a horrible mistake. Oh. Somebody died in Yucatan. They thought it was Mr. Dixon. The coffin was shipped to Mr. Dixon's cousin. We held the funeral and I was appointed administrator of the estate. But, uh, uh, just a minute, sir. You started off by telling us Mr. Dixon's life is in danger. Yes, his heirs have received his bequests. Now, they'll have to refund the money, and, uh, <clears throat> well, with all respect for Mr. Dixon's relatives, I must say several of them are extremely unsavory. Well, that's no reason for thinking that they will uh, try to kill him. Well, I think there's every danger they will, Mr. Shane. One of his cousins came into my office yesterday. He was absolutely furious because he was cheated out of his inheritance. Hmm? He asked me about Mr. Dixon's health and how long I thought he might live, and so So you on. want us to protect your client? Yes. Now, I'm going out to his house right now. I... I'd like you to come along and talk to Mr. Dixon. Well, I would rather prevent a murder than solve one. Then you will come with me? Yes, Mr. Carter, we will. Well, well, Carter, you're an old worrywart. A good attorney, but an old worrywart. Now, now, Mr. Dixon, you don't appreciate the serious danger with your hand. <laughs> Do you, Mr. Shane and Miss Knight, feel that I'm a man about to be murdered? Well, we really don't know, sir. You see... Uh... I can understand Carter's feelings. He doesn't want to have to probate your will a second time. Every time you die, you make more work for the poor man. <laughs> Clarence, than you heard. <laughs> As I was coming in from the garden. I'm Clarence Fisher, Mr. Dixon's cousin. How do you do, Mr. How do Fisher? You do? Of course, Carter may be right. I'm worth considerably more to you, Clarence, dead than alive. I can talk like that to Clarence. He's got a fine sense of humor. Not like his cousin Howard. Howard is sober as a judge with a toothache. Assuming Mr. Dixon's life is in danger, who would be the most likely suspect? Why, several. Before I left the office, I made a list of Mr. Dixon's beneficiaries. It, uh, well, if you care to read it now, I... Thank you, sir. Clarence Fisher. Oh, that's me. Oh, yes. Uh, bequest uh, $10,000. Howard Connell, 20000 William A. Wilkinson, 25000 and a farm at Redwood City. Various charities, 200000 Mm-hmm, I see. Apparently, Mr. Carter's modesty made him omit his own bequest to the tune of $25,000. Well, uh, <clears throat> but uh, after all, uh, surely I couldn't be a suspect. You know, there's one thing which puzzles me and which none of you gentlemen has explained. Mr. Dixon is here alive and well. But uh, who is buried out in the cemetery? You know, I've wondered about that myself. You see, when I was down in Yucatan, I fell ill of a fever. I'm still about 30 pounds underweight. It ruined my eyes, and I had to get glasses. But that's beside the point. When I got up from my sickbed, I found my wallet had been stolen. So had most of my papers. I assumed the thief was later killed. Uh, suppose somebody down in Yucatan received orders to kill Mr. Dixon. 
Suppose the person who did the killing or uh, ordered the killing now realizes that a mistake was made. Yes, he may try again. Mm, that's a grave thought, and no mm. pun intended. May I ask who received the coffin here? Uh, Mr. Dixon's cousin, Howard Connell. Actually, the body was not buried. It was interred in the mausoleum. We followed the instructions in Mr. Dixon's will. Say, you brought up a good point, Phyllis. If we could find out whose body's in that coffin, it just might be a clue. We might even find out if the man had been murdered. Yeah, and if it were murder, we would know definitely that Mr. Dixon is in real danger. Well, then I suggest you have the body exhumed, if that's possible. It is possible, Mr. Dixon. I'll ask the inspector of homicide to use his influence with the coroner's office. Sometimes dead men tell very interesting tales. <laughs> Think of a lot of things I'd rather do, Mike Shane, than visit a mausoleum? Yes, but we'll make it as short as possible, Angel. And let's see, according to the superintendent, it should be down this next corridor. All right. Hello. It's a shame, Miss Knight. Oh, hello there, coroner. Mike, I'd like to know what's going on around here. What's wrong? Take a look in the coffin. There... There's no body in it. You're right, Angel. Nothing but gunny sacks and granite rocks. Mike Shane and Phyllis have dropped in at police headquarters to talk over their problem with the inspector. With them is Nelson Carter, their client's attorney. The whole situation is completely screwy, Inspector. A man is reported dead. Uh -huh. His coffin arrives from Mexico. He has a funeral. His property's divided. Two months later, the fellow turns up alive and kicking. And his coffin is filled with gunny sacks and granite rocks. It's a new one on me, kids. Unless this Gregory Dick will think he was dead. Well, then why would he come back at all, Inspector? He almost lost all his money and property. Uh -huh. Well, I don't see you need worry, Mike. Dixon is alive. There's no corpse in the coffin. Nobody's dead. Yeah, but it's got our curiosity up, Inspector. You know, Mike and I do handle other cases besides murder. This time we've drawn a completely wacky mystery. Well, you can make light of it, Miss Knight. But since finding that empty coffin, I'm more convinced than ever that there's something diabolical afoot. All right. Diabolical what? It's only three days since anybody knew Mr. Dixon was still alive. Several of the heirs would stop at almost nothing to hold on to their inheritances. You said that before, Mr. Carter. Now, let's see, you gave me a list of the bequests. Uh, which man stormed into your office yesterday? The uh, one who wanted to know how long you thought Dixon might live? Yes, that was Wilkinson, William A. Wilkinson. Oh, yes, yes, yes. He's listed here for $25,000 in a farm near Redwood City. Yes, he's living there right now. He was furious because he'll have to turn the farm back to Mr. Dixon. And then this Howard Connell, he's down for $20,000. Uh, what about him? A cousin of Mr. Dixon. He gambles, plays the horses, will do anything to keep out of work, and can't hold a job anyway. Well, I suppose we might interview those men. Though I don't know what we could ask them. No crime's been committed. Well, you won't be able to get hold of Howard Connell. He left for New York after Mr. Dixon's funeral. Well, we might start him with a little talk with Clarence Fisher, the uh, cousin we met in Dixon's house. Uh, if I were doing it, Mike, I know where I'd begin. Yeah? Where, Inspector? Well, you say Cousin Wilkinson lives on a farm near Redwood City. Yes? Well, it's a very pleasant sunny day outside, and twice as pleasant down country. I know a tidy little inn on King's Road west of Redwood City... 
They serve swell hamburgers, and there's a cute little Irish waitress with a green apron. Ah, oh, say no more, Inspector. Say no more. You've sold us one trip to Redwood City. If you don't mind, Mr. Shane, we'll sit and talk under this apple tree. i got to keep my eye on Alec, the hired hand. Laziest man you ever seen. Whatever you wish, Mr. Wilkinson. Oh, an old-fashioned hammock. That's for me, Mike. <laughs> yes, sir, when I got Carter's letter about Dixon being alive, I couldn't believe my eyes, so to speak. Sort of upset my plans for the future. By the way, it's sort of a warmish day. You folks like a drink? Uh, you, Phil? Huh? Not now, thanks. Maybe some water later on. Well, we'll make it apple cider. Water here doesn't taste right to me. Dixon just got done putting in pipe water, bricked up the old well over there, and went modern on it, so to speak. Uh, what'd you folks say you came down here about? Uh, we didn't say, sir. Mr. Carter seems to think Mr. Dixon's in some sort of danger. Now, we'd like to ask you if he has any enemies who might, uh... Carter? I told that lawyer yesterday... Well, I guess maybe he repeated it to you, Mr. Shane. You can see this is a very nice little farm, and I was expecting to make myself a piece of money off it, so to speak. Handing it back to Dixon now is gonna hurt like pulling eye teeth, so to speak. Maybe you could buy it back from Mr. Dixon. Did he make much use of the farm? Oh, spent all of his weekends down here, and I haven't got the cash to buy it from him. Mr. Wilkinson, you say that Dixon bricked up the water well? Uh, yes, he did it a couple of months ago. Left it in an unsightly mess. Alec cleaned it up for me, dug a new rose garden, and shoveled the dirt down in the well. Quite a number of stones missing from the coping around the well. Oh, Mike, I know what you're driving at. Yeah. You and I, Angel, have seen those stones before. The identical size and shape... In a coffin in a mausoleum. Water. Water, I'd broken through. Mike. Mike, can you hear me? Mike, have you found anything? Yeah. Yeah, plenty. A body. Jiminy. Jiminy Christmas, Mr. Wilkinson. This is bad. Awful bad. Oh, stop your jaw, Alec. You make me nervous. Mr. Wilkinson, do you know whose body this is? Of course not. How do you suppose I could tell? Mike, there's a ring on one of his fingers. Yeah, yeah, I see it. A gold ring. The band's in the shape of a snake. Here, let me look at it. Mean anything to you, sir? No. This hole in his head means something to me. He was murdered. Mike, we'd better get hold of the inspector. Yeah. Yes, we're heading back to San Francisco and pick up the inspector, and then... Yeah? Then we're going to have another talk with Mr. Dixon. I suggested that you kids take a little run down country. I didn't expect you to come tearing back to me with a body. Oh, and now that we've found it, the question is, whose body is it? Yes, and until we know that answer, we're not going to spill the news to Dixon. Remember that, Angel. All right. We've got to tiptoe very cautiously. There's Dixon, out in the garden, talking to Mr. Fisher. Yes. Look, Inspector, if you don't mind, I'll do most of the questioning. We've got to approach Dixon downwind. Suits me. Shane, Miss Knight. 
I was wondering what had become of you. We uh, brought along a friend of ours, Mr. Dixon, the inspector of homicide. Inspector of homicide? Yes. You see, if anybody should succeed in killing you, this is the man who will lose his sleep over. Well, glad to know you, Inspector. And may your slumbers be unbroken. Uh, this is my cousin, Clarence Fisher. Well, how do you do? How do you do? Suppose we go into the house so we can sit down. Okay, sir. Uh, Mr. Dixon, we just got back from a little drive down to Redwood City. We talked with another of your cousins, William Wilkinson. That's so? Hates to give up the farm, doesn't he? Oh, very much. He's put in a new rose garden. We noticed that the old water well behind the house has been bricked up. Oh, really? Wilkinson changing things around his suit, eh? Then... Then you didn't fill in the well yourself? Me? Why, no. Why should I? Uh, Mr. Dixon. Yes? Did you have any people visit you down on your farm from the, uh, the, the past few months? Oh, a few. Howard Connell, Clarence here, Wilkinson, old fuss budget Carter, and a few others. I see. Well, sir, if I'm to properly protect you, I'd like to know what those people look like. Do you have any photographs? Photographs? By the hundreds. I've got a scrapbook of snapshots. It's right over there on the wicker table. Here, uh, this what you want? Oh, that's perfect. How about this uh, group picture here? Oh, that's me wearing the straw hat. Really? Girl, yeah, uh, girl's Joan Brooks. Uh, the man behind, I uh, can't remember his name. No, I can't either. Some chap who was on his way to Canada. Uh, the last fellow on the far right is Howard Connell. Howard Connell. He's mm -hmm. the cousin who's gone to New York, isn't he? That's right. Last time I saw Howard was when he drove me to the airport when I went to Mexico. Does he live in San Francisco? Uh, right next door. I'm living in his house till he gets back. And when will that be? Well, I can't say. He left for New York right after Dixon's, well, funeral. The last letter I got from him didn't mention when he'd be back. Hmm. He was one of the beneficiaries under Mr. Dixon's will. I should think he would stay here in town. Oh, not Howard. He's always on the move. No telling where he is now. Here's another photo of you in the scrapbook, Mr. Dixon. A close-up. You're wearing a large, rather peculiar-looking ring. Why, yes, yes, I lost that ring some time ago. Lost it? Hmm. Have you uh, any idea where? Why, no, it just uh, slipped off my finger one day. No idea where I lost it. But I don't see what that matters. Hey, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well, uh, thanks very much for letting us see the pictures, Mr. Dixon. And now we'll be running along. Oh, but Mr. Shane, you were hired to protect me. You're always running off somewhere. We're working on the case, sir, I assure you. In fact, we're going to police headquarters right now... Just on your account. Now, this is the way I dope it out, Inspector. Check me if I'm wrong. Okay. First of all, we may be up against a colossal conspiracy. Mm -hmm. The attorney Carter comes to Phyllis and me and says Dixon's life is in danger. Because Dixon was reported dead and now turns up alive and his heirs hate to part with their ill-gotten gains. Then we find that Dixon's funeral was a fake. Yeah. We find his coffin filled with stones from Dixon's own water well. And we find a murdered man hidden inside the well. And that murdered man, Inspector, I'm convinced is the real Gregory Dixon. The fellow who says he's Dixon is an imposter. Yeah, I know what you base that on, Mike. The fact that the ring on the dead man's finger is the same ring we saw in Dixon's photograph. Correct. But perhaps the ring really was lost, and the person who later found the ring is the man you hauled out of the well. Well, that's possible, Inspector, but I'd like to go one step further. I'll say that the man who calls himself Gregory Dixon is actually Howard Connell, Dixon's cousin and beneficiary. I was beginning to suspect that myself. Connell very conveniently disappears on a trip to New York. Nobody knows exactly where he is or when he's coming back. But Dixon's relative ought to be able to recognize the fake unless they're all in on the deal, too. That may be, too. 
But there was a strong family resemblance between Dixon and Connell. Mm -hmm. I noticed it in those photographs. Mm -hmm. That's why the story about Dixon falling ill, losing 30 pounds, having to put on glasses. An alibi in case anybody began to suspect. Okay. But who killed Dixon, Phil? Mm. Who threw his body down the well and bricked it up? Both Wilkinson and Connell denied they closed the well. Yes, Sergeant? Mr. Shane's call to Redwood City's waiting, sir. Thanks. Take it on this phone, Mike. Thanks, Inspector. Hello? Hello, Alec? Calling me, Mr. Shane? Yes, uh, I want to ask you a question, Alec. How long have you worked for Mr. Wilkinson? Why, about a month or so. Mr. Wilkinson hired me when he took over the farm. And uh, when you were making the new rose garden for him, Alec, did you dump all that dirt down the well? Yes, sir. The well was bricked up anyway. I didn't see no harm. That's all I wanted to know. Thank you, Alec. Well, Wilkinson told us the truth. Yeah. The well was bricked up when he got the farm. Well, then Dixon, I, I mean, Connell lied to us. Practically everything he told us was a lie, Angel. Well, Inspector, what do you say? You make out a pretty strong case, Mike. But we don't have any real proof that Howard Connell killed Dixon and then took his place. Don't worry, we'll get the proof. Okay, I'll take your word for it, Mike. Let's go out and pick up Connell. <laughs> Shane, Inspector, I just telephoned for you. Phoned? Why? What for? The very thing I hired Shane to prevent. It's happened. What are you talking about? You don't mean to tell me... Yes, I do mean to tell you. Mr. Dixon is dead. the home of the late Gregory Dixon, Mike Shane, Phyllis, and the inspector have found another body, the body of the man whom they were about to arrest. The dead man lies sprawled in the bushes directly beneath an open window on the second floor. Well, I don't understand. He fell from the window. We, we heard him fall. Mr. Wilkinson, what are you doing in San Francisco? I just got here from Redwood City. Carter and I came out to talk to him. Inspector, take a look at the man's head. Yeah, I see. Deep gash in the back of the skull. He must have hit his head on a rock. Hold on, hold on. Here's something else. A revolver in his coat pocket and a sheet of paper. It's a note. A typewritten note. To the authorities. I cannot go on. You know the truth by now. I killed Gregory Dixon. Then a typewritten signature. Howard Connell. Connell. Then it's true. I, I, I can't believe it. Good heavens. So he committed suicide. All right. Suppose you all tell us what happened. Starting with you, Mr. Fisher. Well, I was next door in my house. Wilkerson and Carter rang my doorbell and asked if Dixon, uh, I mean Connell, had gone out. Yes, we'd been pounding on his door and got no answer. Yes. I was sure he was in, so I came over with them and let them into the house with my key. Wilkinson was all excited. He said he had some terrible news. He said the real Gregory Dixon was dead and we'd all been tricked. How did you know that, Mr. Wilkinson? Yes, we just discovered that for ourselves, but you never told us. I, well, when I saw that body from the well and the ring on his finger, I recognized it. You told us it meant nothing to you. I know, I, I just couldn't believe it. I, I wanted time to think it out. Then I drove up to the city and, and, and told Carter. I thought Wilkinson was crazy. I phoned Dixon, I mean Connell, and told him we were coming right out. I still couldn't believe it. That's why I jumped all over you, Mr. Shane, for letting the man get killed. 
I didn't know it was suicide and that he was a fake. Believe me, I didn't. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But uh, to get on, uh, what happened after you three were in the house? Well, Wilkinson was trying to tell me his discovery, and Carter was arguing with him. Connell wasn't downstairs, so I went up and called him. He shouted from the bedroom that he'd be down in a minute, and I went back to the living room and started asking Wilkinson questions. He told me about the ring. Yes, and we kept waiting and waiting. The living room windows were open, and I complained about the cold wind blowing in. Fisher went over and started to close the windows. He shouted, and we heard Connell crash to the ground. I saw the body falling past the window. Connell must have known he was trapped. He couldn't face us. Those open windows on the second floor, are they in Connell's bedroom? Yes. Now, let me get this straight. All three of you men were in the room when Connell fell? Yes, yes, sir. That's right. Okay. Now, if you gentlemen don't mind, I'll ask you to step indoors for a few minutes. We want to examine the ground around here before you trample all over everything. Oh, yes, all right. All right, kids. I know what you're thinking. Yes. One or more or all three of them are lying. Mm -hmm. It was not suicide. It was deliberate murder. Right, Mike. That bedroom window is less than 20 feet from the ground. Ten to one, that fall wouldn't kill a man. If Connell was really planning suicide, he wouldn't take that chance. He'd do it properly. Right. And he wouldn't be so cagey about writing his signature on the, the note uh, on the typewriter. Well, I can't believe he got that deep gash in the back of his skull from hitting one of these rocks. Well, they're not much bigger than pebbles. If you ask me, Angel, that gash was made by the butt of his revolver. One terrific blow. Then the gun was stuck in his pocket. Kids, I'm worried. We know it's murder, but hang it, were those three guys swearing they were all in the room together? We're going to have a devil of a time proving a case against any one of them. Yes, yes, but remember the old rule, Inspector. When all suspects have alibis, none of them have alibis. We've just got to get in and do some good head work. Well, while you're about it, maybe you can explain one thing to me. Huh? Explain what, Phil? Look, these rose vines. Rambling rose vines cover the whole side of this house, clear up to the roof, you see? And yet when you look at Connell's suit, there isn't a single tear or a snag... Not even a broken rose petal on his clothes. Well, that could be because he jumped or was thrown clear of the vines. Well, then how could his body fall right against the foundations of the house? Wait a minute, wait a minute. The upstairs windows and the downstairs windows both open outwards. That's it, Angel, you've hit it. You're darn right she's hit it. Absolutely, Inspector. Now we've got some business indoors. Killed? Murder? Why, that's impossible, Mr. Shane. We were all here in the living room. We all saw the body fall. Of course you saw it fall, but Howard Connell was already dead. And he did not fall from the second floor. He He did not fall? I'll uh, show you what happened, gentlemen. Now, when you three men were here in the living room, these windows were open. They were open outwards. The body was laid across the tops of both halves of the window. When Mr. Wilkinson complained of the cold, Mr. Fisher closed the windows. That took the support away from the body, and you saw Connell fall past the window. Why, that's idiotic. I'd have seen the body. You did see it, Mr. Fisher. You put it there. You killed Connell with the butt of that revolver. You murdered him because you had helped Connell impersonate Dixon. You were in the deal with him. No. No, he tricked me, too. No, Mr. Fisher. You told us that you'd gotten a letter from Howard Connell in New York. Connell never went to New York. He was right here. All right. All right, I admit it. I killed Connell when I discovered he'd murdered Dixon. He murdered my cousin. That sounds like a very lame attempt to plead the unwritten law. But that was not your reason. You killed Connell because you knew we were closing in on him. You knew Connell couldn't take it. You knew Connell would confess and that he would tie the noose around your neck, too. But I'm afraid that you've done a perfect job of that yourself, Mr. Fisher. Well, how about it, Inspector? (laughs) 
so quiet, Angel. What are you thinking about? Hmm? Oh, I was just thinking about that whole fantastic scheme. What a cockeyed motive. Yeah, but it almost worked, Phil. Connell and his cousin Fisher saw a way to get a hold of all of Dixon's money, instead of just the amounts he intended to leave them in his will. First, they had to kill Dixon, get his estate distributed, then bring Dixon back to life. All the heirs and beneficiaries would then have to return their bequests to him. Connell and Fisher would have the whole estate for themselves. Well, I've heard of killing a man for his money, but never bringing him back to life to get his inheritance. When I see a case like that, I'm almost glad I haven't got any money. Poor but honest and alive. Mm -hmm. Money is the root of all evil. I'll still take plenty of the root. Mm. The uh, correct quotation, honey, is the love of money is the root of all evil. Oh. Yes, it's the, uh, the love that causes the trouble. Oh, love. Well, I'll take plenty of that, too. (laughs) Tune in again next week at 8 o'clock for another adventure with Michael Shane, Private Detective, starring Wally Mayer and Kathy Lewis, with Joe Forte as the inspector. Tonight's story was written by Richard DeGraff and based on the character created by Brett Halliday. Music was composed and directed by Bernard Katz. This is John Lang saying goodnight for Union Oil Company and reminding you once again to get your application for your Union Oil credit card this week. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. Andrea J. Graham, author of the Web Surface series. Oh, and a madam's wife. You're listening to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. Welcome back. Well, a very interesting form of fraud. That one's a new one on me. I should let you know that uh, we will be changing the show here in four weeks. It'll still be Michael Shane, but it'll be something entirely different. A new uh, Adventures of Michael Shane, which is a radically uh, different uh, reinterpretation of the character compared to the radio version uh, that people had heard. So uh, be ready for that coming in just four weeks. And now we turn to an old-fashioned letter from uh, Gary, uh, who sent it along with his donation. And, you know, it's always a thrill to get these in the mail. Um, He writes, uh, Adam, I download a lot of different podcasts to get me through my workouts at the Y each day. I found that I listen to and enjoy your detective podcast more than others, largely because of your commentary at the end. I am 75 years old and recall many of these old-time programs. There is one that I picked up a few episodes on from another podcast called Rocky Jordan. I really like that program. 
The best I can tell there are 93 uh, available. Have you considered running these programs? I guess it is possible that you've done uh, that series since I have not been listening a long time. Uh, actually, Gary, uh, no, uh, we have not done it. We will do it right after um, Richard Diamond, which we haven't quite started yet. So it's probably going to be a couple years till we get to that one. Uh, my favorite programs you play are Johnny Dollar, Philip Marlowe, and uh, Dragnet. Dragnet, by far, has the um, uh, more realistic sound effects and dialogue. Well, Gary, thanks so much for the note, and congratulations uh, to you on regularly working out at the Y uh, at the age of 75. That's uh, truly amazing, and I hope I'm blessed to be able to keep uh, exercising that long. Uh, and thanks so much for all of your kind comments. I'm glad you're enjoying the show, and I uh, look forward to bringing uh, Rocky Fortune in a while. There are still so many exciting years of uh, great radio to, uh, left to bring here. All right, well, that will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow for The Avenger. And then next Monday, it'll be Michael Shane. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.